Hi, and welcome to another episode of IC Data People. Today, we're joined by David Rosen. David is the co-founder and CEO of Catalex, where he and his team leverage AI to extract data from contracts. Prior to Catalex, David was senior counsel at Bridgewater Associates, executive director and counsel at UBS, and director and counsel at Credit Suisse. David started his career as a database developer before jumping into law at Cleary Gottlieb. David, welcome to IC Data People. Thank you. Great to have you here. And, uh, and David, you know, you've got a really unique background as, as a combination of in-house counsel for some very large financial institutions, um, but, but you also started your career as a, as a database developer, kind of bordering on, on early versions of data engineering. Um, I, I'd love to understand, you know, how did your technical background, how did that early work really influence the way you practice law, how you've approached the challenges that you're now facing in the contract analytics world? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, I don't think I realized what an oddball I was in that space, uh, you know, for many years, but um, it, it is absolutely true. Like a technical background in the, in the, in the legal area, it's not unheard of, but it's, it's fairly uh, it, uncommon. Uh, so I, I immediately got attracted to derivatives work once I understood what that was. Um, a lot of, a lot of the very intricate contracting um, where you basically are looking at these books of definitions that are integrated by reference. So they're published definitions. And there's a whole set of documents that basically pull in different pieces of contracts where you may have like a five-page contract that in reality is a 500-page contract because it's, it's just basically pulling all these different modules together. I realized that was the same exercise as coding, right? So when you're writing good code, you write modules and you're passing through parameters and you're modifying just what you need to. And then sometimes you go and focus on the definitions when they're not good enough and you actually would go in there. And I work with the trade associations at ISDA, uh, actually worked on some development of the actual definitions over the years as a credit derivatives lawyer at Credit Suisse. I was very involved in that. But that kind of interplay, I always thought of that, of what we did as lawyers as actually code. And that, that was a, you know, a huge influence in the way I approached the, the legal field. Uh, it was pretty atypical. I don't think most people thought of things that way. But, but even then, I thought the way that the legal industry functioned didn't make a lot of sense given how systematic this data actually is. So we talk about contract data as unstructured. I'd argue it's actually the most highly structured data that we have in business, right? L lawyers spend all their time trying to get the, the, a, a contract into, into a place where it can be unambiguously uh, interpreted uh, by some third party, a judge or, or whatnot, uh, so that it's repeatable over time. Now, the way that that has evolved over millennia uh, it is is what you'd expect when you didn't have computers and you didn't have code, right? And and so we we now have a guild uh, uh, of, of of highly trained, very uh, expert lawyers that know how to draft and read uh, that you know doesn't reflect fundamentally what they're doing, which is trying to get you know this agreement as 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 unambiguous. You know, whatever is happening in the real world should be in the contracts. Actually, another big difference between contracts as code and code as code is that your compiler doesn't run until it's too late. Right. So when you, when you want to go figure out that you've got a syntax error or whatever, you know, your interpreter is happening way down the line. Um, so it's a bit more like when people used to write code for mainframes in the 70s and you had like one hour in, in a month and how carefully you reviewed your code before you submitted it in there. I mean, I get these stories from, from an, the, the earlier generation. I think when you draft contracts, that's how you have to do it. Like you, you, you have one chance to get it right. You got to read it. Um, that being said, contracts, billions of pages you know, in the U.S., are rife with syntax errors, you know, all, all over the place. The, the, the code is broken. Um, and you saw that in the credit crisis uh, when people were looking at even some of the top law firms in the world, 
generating, you know, I'm not going to name names, but generating tens of thousands of pages of documents with like fundamental flaws in them that only came out when the music stopped. So um, that was a long answer to your question, but that's how the part, part you know, thinking about a uh, background and a technical background, a coding background in particular, always got me thinking about um, the way contracts work. Um, and that if you could actually uh, translate the syntax of contacts in, into, into, a, into a, a machine readable format, um, you could both understand what's in a contract and reproduce what was in a contract at machine speed. Um, and that's what we've, we've, we've done at Cadillacs. Well, at least the, the reading part, we haven't done the writing part yet. Well, I, I love this analogy, David, of the, uh, of the coding and debugging of the code. And I think contracts obviously contain huge amounts of information and you need uh, to structure them correctly to find a consistency, the formatting, and how do you tackle the issues of debugging those issues and ensure the data that you're extracting is actually accurate, is actually usable? Um, well, it, it's still a, it's still a mix of like you understand repeatable results, and you're actually having humans review the outputs at some point, right? So at the end of the day, if you're reviewing a contract with a machine or a person, uh, and by the way, people do this make mistakes all the time. You know, at the end of the day, it's it's still going to go in front of a court, and it it may be that you know when you're trying to use a, da a, a data extraction tool, a contract analytics tool like Catalyst, or you're using a team of, of paralegals, what you actually extract itself is an accurate rendition of what the contract says that in itself is, is, is ambiguous. Like that, the, the, the drafting of the contract either accidentally or occasionally intentionally, uh, does something different than what you might expect business intent was. Um, and then you're, we're not trying to solve that problem. Um, but what you, what you can often find is when you, when you run uh, a contract analytics or a team of people over a large pool of documents, you'll find sort of anomalies. Uh, and then the anomalies themselves are, are sometimes rooted to to the systems that are actually looking at them, but often they're 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 rooted to the way that the particular lawyers have drafted those things, and sometimes they're actually bugs. I don't know if that answers your question, but so David, I, I guess you know you've you've got a lot of experiences having been in-house counsel in in a lot of different settings. I'm curious how you would have used contract analytics like you just described in Catalogs. Where where would you have actually put that extracted data, how would that have fit into your workflow? How that fit into the workflow of your colleagues, both legal and otherwise? Just, just trying to understand how that data could or should be used in given your extensive experience in the space. Uh, I mean, there, there are anywhere where you need to read through a contract in theory, you know, contract analysis is going to help you if you go to a lawyer. Now, if you're looking at one contract, it can be useful. That's not the main use cases. The situation is if you have to look at 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 contracts and you're constrained by what I call reality, Right, it, it doesn't matter how much money you have. You might not even be able to get through all that. Even if you had, you're going to go hire Clary to go read through all those documents. It may be impossible. So there's this this, this sort of fire drill scenario is, is one major use case where you get that call on a Friday afternoon, and you know your CEO is asking a bunch of questions which you ought to know the answer to, but you just don't because it's in thousands of documents and the variation is all over the place. And as a, as a as a sort of a, a skill internal counsel, you probably know how to tell them generally what to expect to find there, but sometimes what they're really asking for, is there anything here that does that or does that? And if you can't answer that question directly, you often have to give very constrained advice, like that we think that there's probably some things that do this and there's some things to do that, but you've only given me 10 hours. And in 10 hours, I can only give you directionally what you have to do. If you have the ability to use a system like ours, or if you had a, 
100 paralegals lined up to do this, like every Friday afternoon, right? What you could do is actually get a much better picture of that answer and then say, okay, we're going to pull 10% of the contracts out and not treat them that way. We're going to bet uh, 10 of another 20% and actually treat them more aggressively. And then for the main line, here's what we're going to do. And that type of like much more nuanced advice can be given in real time across portfolios. That, that Friday afternoon is just a micro mechanism of the, of the problem. Like if you were in Lehman Brothers in 2008, you know, on the Friday before Lehman went down, we all came in and, and basically pulled in the entire legal department at Credit Suisse uh, to do emergency SWAT team over two or three days to kind of figure out answers to fundamental questions. And, you know, you get as many answers as you can and you do the best you can with the counsel you have. If you had more information in those crises, you would you would definitely get better valuations, more accurate valuations, better decision making, either for a, a risk averse entity like a bank, you're going to get less conservative because once they know they can do it, they'll do it. And for risk accepting uh, entities, they may get more conservative because they know okay, these are ones that are definitely toxic. So you're just going to get much more calibrated activity. That's kind of like when you ask the question about me as a counsel where that would be the most valuable. And I think that people do see that value in, in data analytics. There are more run-of-the-mill things like, can I go just go through all my contracts to pull out all the operational data that I need to, to, to feed my enterprise? So the, the, we are, Cadillac doesn't have a, a, is not a contract lifecycle management or CLM, which is in the space, um, but we can be used to feed a CLM. And so the CLM is, is, is you know, all those workflows and operational da da downstream items that you want to track. The, the problem with most CLMs is that you know, you, you can get a lot of data for things that you use a CLM to create a document with, but in terms of your third-party contracts and your legacy contracts, you, you're still generally relying on people to get that data out. So a data analytics tool like, like Catalyx can be used to pull that data out systematically and, and, and put it through. Um, so those are like two major use cases. There are other things that weren't in the area that law that I was working at, but for due diligence, uh, if you're going to buy a company, you know, you, you know, using lawyers. You don't need to rely on the machine to get every answer correct, but it, it will actually make the lawyers, you know, 10 times faster, cheaper. Uh, and then in, in situations where the lawyer might need to sample, right, because it's too expensive or they don't have enough time, uh, they can look at a much larger proportion or even 100% of the portfolio using a tool like, like that or using data analytics, whether it's Catalytics or something else. Um, but that, that, that's how I see the application of, of the primary use cases in, in contract analytics. There are more. Like when you have all those things together and you have very large portfolios, you can also start to look at inferences that, you know, you get from any large data pool. So you, you, things that you would be too expensive to go have everybody read a million contracts to go figure out. But now if you have all that data, you can look for patterns. You can look for relationships, uh, like maybe a, a range of vendors that you might have across a, a large of affiliates, things that you would like to know that are prohibitively expensive to know right now if the only source to get them is by reading the contracts. David, you gave us some really uh, amazing examples here. And I know you've worked at some uh, notoriously blunt companies like Bridgewater, like a twist. Can you utilize the blunt list to tell us your most controversial opinion? I actually think of the way the companies structure themselves. Like most of the organization around companies uh, in terms of like what types of data is being tracked in the CFO space what's being tracked by a, a chief risk officer, uh, what even the sales organization is trying to track in their CRM. The golden source of all of that, or almost all of it, is actually the contracts. So what, what you actually see in organizations, you want to figure out like what are the relationships the organizations care about? What are their constraints? What do they agree to do? What can they expect to happen? All that type of stuff, it's actually buried in contracts. And be, because uh, it's so hard to get out of the contracts, organizations 
don't even focus on the contracts. They focus on collating all that data in different pools. And, you know, I, I believe firmly that if you can really crack the contract at the, I'm sorry, the data problem at the golden source of all that data, it will flow through to all the other things. So whereas, whereas you think of uh, a, a legal department as a back as a backwater, uh, a, a cost center, uh, a place where deals go to slow down and die, right? That's that's pretty fair characterization, I think, in most organizations, how most organizations think about that. The more positive side is that's where we can stop ourselves from shooting ourselves in the foot. You know, it's a risk, it's a risk protection, all those things, all those things are true. But the other thing that's also true is it's like the actual reality of an organization's interaction with the world is is really in the contracts. Maybe not all of it, but so much of it that's hard to get to. So when you when you want to go figure out what's in your CRM, is it accurate? Like, why don't we go look at our contracts, right? That's why people try to shove their contracts in Salesforce, right? Um, you know, whatever it is, it's again, the answer is usually found in what you sign with somebody else. I don't know how controversial that is, but I'm not going to talk about political issues, so we'll get off that. So, David, you, uh, you, you've obviously been you've been in the legal space for a long time and been able to skate where the puck is going, right? To know that that contract analytics is is kind of the next phase of being able to extract data from these these sources that are a wealth of information. Um, prognosticate for us. Tell us where where the next five years goes. You know, as you look at the data landscape broadly, the legal data landscape maybe more narrowly. Where do you see the world going in the next five years? Um, five years, like it was an arbitrary time time zone. So these things can go faster or or, or slower than one expects. But in, in terms of like the next logical steps, once you can kind of get that data out there um, and and make sure that it's valid um, to the level it needs to be valid, it's going to unlock all sorts of other things. So the the access to what's in that contract data uh, to non lawyers, like flowing through the business, like all of that data is so valuable where the lawyers uh, could get the thing out of there, or maybe they don't actually care, right? The lawyers don't focus on certain things that are actually in contracts. When that gets out of there, you're going to probably see over time, you know, that data disseminating throughout an organization. You're also going to see contracting change over time. So a lot of the variation that you see in contracting is actually unnecessary. It's it's just tons and tons of, of, of different ways of saying the same thing where 95% of the time they're trying to say exactly the same thing. They're just formulating it different. 5% of the time they're doing it meaningfully, right? And then even when that 5%, sometimes they're doing it in a sneaky way, right? You have, you have that too, where they're, they're trying to hide the ball. But ultimately, again, as data structure, like, and you can get into that format, the business purpose of contracts is not to fool the other person, not to express something more creatively. It's to get this like very concrete, manifestation of what the relationship is between two legal counterparties. And I, I think that you're going to see over time, contracts will be negotiated. You know, maybe, maybe the best analogy is not so much of an analogy. People got really excited by smart contracts and I'm not talking about walk ledger, but, 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 um, you know, things like Ethereum and that ability to have smart contracts. One of the things that I think limits smart contracts from really going well, like, like wildfire is the vast permutations in the way that data actually can be expressed between parties that want to do that very hard to kind of code that all but when you can get things down to a basic level of machine it will be possible to actually have contracts that are, are truly smart i think maybe this is my most controversial uh, uh actual controversial opinion i think we're going to see the death of contracts as we know like we're not going to see contracts that are written in paper you know whether it's in five years or 20 years like you're going to have effectively preferences that that organizations have and those preferences will just mesh and that will generate a contract behind the scenes 
but you're not going to have lawyers drafting contracts. I think it's some, that's my prediction. In 49 months. David, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for being a guest on IC Data People. My pleasure. Thank you.